Do you know the ideal birthday party? Let me explain. First of all, birthday parties tend to be happy. I like happy. I'm for it. But what makes it really cool is if the prime gift is shared with the party guest. Let's say we go to a friend's 45th birthday party. Let's say that one of the guests understands that of all things, her favorite delicacy is a big chunk of smoked salmon. And they're opening gifts, and lo and behold, she opens this big gift. I know no 45, I know no no ladies like smoked salmon, you know, but go with me on this illustration. (laughs) Well, somebody brings a gift, she opens it. It's a rather large chunk of smoked salmon. And she says, to the guests that are there, wow, look at this, smoked salmon, my favorite. Have any of you ever tasted smoked salmon? Now, nobody's tasted it in the group except the person who brought the gift. She said, you're kidding. You mean you haven't tasted it? Oh, and she immediately rips it open, and they all begin to enjoy this gift together. They all leave collectively saying, boy, that was the greatest birthday party I've been to in a while. Because the gifts were shared with everyone. If you understand why that birthday party is so great, you're going to understand why God moved the Apostle Paul to write Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Because the point is, what we have been given brings us to a high joy and healthy vitality when we bust it open and share it with each other, and with others in mission. Come with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now, we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. We're in this letter in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four Gospels. Then there's Acts, which is a bit of history. Then we get to the letters. This is the first letter in the library of the New Testament, the book of Romans. We're going through it. We get to Romans chapter 12 this morning that was a great party because everybody shared in the spoil of the spoils of the gifts that's a picture of the body of Christ that's how a healthy church conducts its life and experience and it results in joy and the question before us this morning is is that us at Calvary Baptist Church. Let me read it to you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I'm going to read, because they're connected, the first two verses that we've already looked at, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You say, Eric, what, what is that sacrifice, that presenting my body, what does that look like? He begins to unpack that in verses 3 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace of 
given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, or it's actually a definite article, to the faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Hear the word of the Lord. In the first point this morning, and I want to go two different directions, I want to talk about the grace of God. The whole book of Romans is an explanation of the grace of God offered in Jesus Christ. This passage just continues that explanation with a footnote on the grace of God that shows up in the giftings that he gives to us. Secondly, we come back to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, the charge from chapter 12 and verse 1. What does that mean? What does that look like In life, he begins to unpack that. It looks an awful lot like taking the gifts that we have been given, opening them, and sharing them at the party of life. So number one, even our spiritual gifts are emblems of the grace of God. Now, it is true that we are charged to develop our gifts, stir up the gifts that are within you. Remember, Paul charged Timothy in such a way. But if you look at verse 3 and you look at verse 6, which I have read to you, uh, it showcases that our spiritual gifts are an emblem of the Lord's grace. Now, if it is the grace of God that offers salvation to us, then we need to think of these gifts as just an extension of that grace that continues its work in our lives. Now, there are two realities to grasp here as we think of these gifts of grace. First, pride is a threat to how we relate and how we minister. Did you notice that his first charge in verse 3 is, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now this pride in relation to our gifts kind of cuts two ways. Number one, have you ever met someone who left you with a distinct impression that they believed that their gifts were very strong and that 
they wanted you to believe that their gifts were very strong. That they wanted to show you their great giftedness with the spirit of I'm God's gift of giftedness for all things. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But there's another kind of way that pride shows up. It's much more subtle. It's those in God's great family who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, having had their sins forgiven, they're brought in by the grace of God, they have a future and a hope following Jesus And if you talk to them, they'll say, oh, I don't have any gifts. I have nothing to offer. I'm one of those in God's family. Now, according to Romans 12, there are none of those in God's family. And it is not uh, humility on steroids for you to say, oh, Eric, I'm not very gifted. I could not do anything. That's not biblical. That's pride. One, pride out in the open. Hey, I'm God's gift to everything. Secondly, pride more closeted. Oh, no. Now I'm not very gifted. I, I, I can't do anything. By the way, Warren Wiersbe said, nothing causes more damage in a local church than a believer who overrates himself and tries to perform ministry he cannot do. Nobody has all the gifts. Nobody is omni-competent. You know what? My liver is so important to the function of my body, but my liver doesn't do everything. My liver needs my lungs and my heart and my kidneys and my bloodstream and my brain and all of the intricate systems of my body that come together and work that body metaphor he's going to introduce in verses four and five now the second reality to grasp about this gift of grace is that God has gifted all of us but not at the same level by the way if you don't get anything else out of this message Please don't miss what he says in verse 6. Just take these six words home with you. Two words start that verse, having gifts. Notice his assumption for followers of Jesus Christ. We all have gifts. Let us use them. Did you notice those four words? (laughs) First, the assumption that we have gifts Second, the charge to use them. Now, God has gifted all of us, but not at the same levels. Robert Fulgham wrote a little book. Many of you have read it, smiled as you read it. All I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. I remember what I learned my first recess in kindergarten. You know what I learned? I learned that Thomas Jefferson is a liar. All men are not created equal. There were boys in my kindergarten class who were faster than me. There were boys that were better than me. There were boys that could jump higher than me. I would later read that line, all men are created equal. 
Now, what we've known from long ago is that we are not all the same. Now, we are all gifted, but we are not all gifted in the same ways. Or, here's the further ponderous mystery of God's grace. Gifted at the same levels. I have marveled at the minds of some of the people that I've been around in my lifetime. I mean, to listen to them, it's like, wow, that lady really knows her stuff. I've marveled at artisans and craftsmen. I was at Jackson Hole, Wyoming one time in the summer. Didn't know it. It was like Arts Week, which I think is every other week there. But anyway, um, they had all these sculptors there. And on the one hand, you'd look and they'd take a pile of this mud-looking stuff. And you'd look away and you'd look back and there's a herd of elk. You go, how do you, get, how do, you do that? And you begin to watch them. And, I mean, gifted hands that did things that were absolutely extraordinary. Now notice what he says. Notice he uses the phrase in verse 3, the measure of faith. In verse 6, he uses the word assigned. We not only are not all assigned the same gifts, but we are all assigned with a gift. But further, we are not assigned or gifted in the same way. Some of us are more gifted than others. It doesn't make us any better. Remember, grace is what you get that you don't deserve. And there's no room for any haughtiness. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm really gifted. No. Whatever we have, I love what Paul says, what do we have that we have not been given? All of our gifts are from the Lord. So there's no room for pride. And there's no room for attaching ourselves to a really gifted person and saying, oh, they're really gifted, you know, I I want them. Because that really gifted person, if they understand truly what's going on, understands that it's simply an expression of grace. And the measure, the assignment that came to him, it leaves no room for pride. It's interesting how Paul begins in verse 3. For by the grace given to me... Paul is essentially saying, look, I didn't become an apostle, an important person in the Jesus movement because I started out a tenderfoot, you know, and I just kept going, I kept going, and finally God says, okay, I'll give you that final merit. You are an Eagle Scout. You're going to be an apostle, one of those big dogs. No, Paul looked at even what God had called him to do as an expression of the grace of God. For by the grace given to me, I say this to you. He essentially says, look, I'm not an apostle because of a good resume, but because of the grace of God. We all have a role to play. And when we use our gifts in sync with others, there is health. There is vitality. Growing up, my dad had this odd riding lawnmower built by a company called Simplicity. And it had kind of a, a joystick that was steering and uh, it engaged the uh, powertrain. And, um, but yeah, there was a little knack to getting onto it. And especially if you were coming down a hill and needed to make a turn. And we had some hills and some fences. And 
they'd get in an argument with each other when I was mowing the grass before. But what happened was um, you, uh, you sat in the seat, and if you were of normal size and you weren't a boy, you'd reach up and you'd pull the uh, handle, the joystick as it were, and you'd pull it back. You were in a comfortable position. You just a little movement left, you turn left, a little movement right, you turn right. And um, that, that was how the engineer who was having a bad day designed this lawnmower. Well, uh, there'd be times when it would uh, get gummed, on, gummed up, and uh, part of it was my stature. Well, I, I couldn't reach the post uh, to get going, and you couldn't engage the engine without grabbing a hold of that thing. So I'd have to get out of the chair, lean forward, grab a hold of it, and then kind of jerk back into the chair. And somewhere between laying hold of that and jerking back, the powertrain was active, and you just hoped that, you know, it wasn't going to catapult you off of the ejection seat, you know, so you could start mowing the grass. And then once in a while, it'd get all gummed up underneath, and um, the, the steering mechanism wouldn't work too good. And that was okay, unless you were coming downhill to a, a sharp 90-degree turn right up against the fence, and then you just, your mower would start eating into the fence, you know, and so that... So, so what dad would do every once in a while, he would, he, would, he would jack it up and had this, they don't even have them anymore, I don't think, you know, it had about 5,000 grease zerts underneath this whole deal in the front and he had this big grease gun and we'd, we'd attach it to all the zerts, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd grease it down and the next time you could almost steer it with your finger. It was all smooth. It was a, what, what is the phrase? It was a well-oiled machine. All of the individual parts were machinating all the machine parts were coming together they were machining together perfectly and it, it was just it was it was like ballet in the backyard as I was mowing grass as long as I didn't get ejected when I pulled the thing back you know well the body of Christ is a group of people who've been laid hold of by the grace of God brought into God's family gifted and called to work and when we come together and bring our gifts as assigned, small and great and everything in between, and contribute to the mission, it's like those grease shirts that had that whole front end all set, and you glide along having put up your sail, and the wind of God blows the church into healthiness and vitality. That's what it means to collectively present our bodies unto the Lord and present ourselves to the Lord for our few measly days that we get to serve him. Now, secondly then, we present our lives to God to use our gifts in the church. So Eric, if we are to present our bodies, that's Romans 12, 1, what are we presenting them for? Here it is. Three deductions from these verses. First, we all have been given gifts that are very different. Look at verse 4. Look at the first part of verse 6. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Look at the first part of verse 6. And again, if you don't get anything else out of this, take these six words home. Having gifts, fast forward to let us use them. 
Now, in Psalm 68, verse 18, there's a messianic song, a psalm, a song that Israel used to sing. That's what the psalms are. And when they got the, let's sing number 68, it was celebrating what they anticipated that in the victory of Jesus, in the resurrection of our Lord, and the resolution of death, the Trinity had a party. And the Father gave gifts to the Son. But you know what the Son did with his smoked salmon? He gave gifts to all his followers. That's Psalm 68 and 18, I think. Yes. Gifts to all the children. Now this term gifts here that shows up in the text is actually a compound word. For example, verse 6, having gifts that differ. Well, you read it in English, gifts. It's actually a compound word. The first word is grace, and the second part is gift, kind of smashed together. Grace, charis, gift, matic. You've heard the term before, a charismatic church. In the 60s, when Pentecostalism bled across into mainline Protestant denominations in Van Huys, California at an Episcopal church. It was the launch of what some call like the second wave of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement, the grace gift movement. Well, whatever the movement is, they use a biblical term as their title. Grace gift. All of our gifts given to us are an expression of God's grace. There's the gift of salvation offered in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never believed in Jesus, God made you and he made us. We sinned and walked away from him. And he came running after us in Jesus. That's Christmas He died on the cross to remove the awful penalty of our sin and the destruction we brought to that relationship with him. That's Good Friday. And he was raised on Easter morning to offer the promise of eternal life to everyone who would believe. We will all live somewhere forever. Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? I invite you to him. And when you come to him, a part of the grace of salvation are these gifts to use in the life of his family. So there's the gift of salvation. That's what the book of Romans is describing, the whole book. Then there's the gift of life. If you're here this morning with me and you're breathing, you are what Peter would call a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, Peter was speaking to, you know, honor your wife and realize that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life with you. But in that phrase, he teaches us that life itself is an expression of the grace of God. And I'm glad God has given you grace today to be here, to approach him. And then we have these spiritual gifts to use in God's family that are expressions of his grace. Now there's a, a, a list of spiritual gifts here in Romans 12. Jessica read so well this morning the uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 12. There's another list of gifts that is in Ephesians chapter 4. None of the three lists are the same. None of the three lists are 
exhaustive, they are representative samples of gifts given that can be used. Now, the history of the discussion about spiritual gifts, even in the privilege that God has given me to be in pastoral ministry these years, is fascinating. Um, in, in the 70s or early 80s, there's a pastor in Canada, last name McRae, who wrote a little book on spiritual gifts. And it really sent a lot of people thinking about spiritual gifts. And then growing out of that, some engineer got a hold of the book. And um, then some psychologists got a hold of the idea of spiritual gifts. And they started thinking about it. And, of course, they came up with uh, this engineering way to explain all the gifts uh, coupled with uh, a, a psychological analysis of who we are and, you know, putting those together, a combination of, and, and, and they're in part onto something. You know, God uses our natural inclinations, our interests, and in the grace of God, we're saved and he sanctifies our natural inclinations. And then he, he gifts us in ways that celebrate graciously our natural inclinations. And so uh, from that, uh, a series of tests came up and everybody was taking spiritual gifts tests and you know there was the one you know go online it takes 20 seconds to, to you know get to get the readout and then there's the you know uh 95 uh you know harvard business school spiritual gift test as it were you know the real thick one you know six hour test you know we'll give you a break at lunch but then we'll tell you what your spiritual gift is and it led to a to a malaise actually where people's like hey hey what are you doing well i'll tell you what I'm trying to figure out my spiritual gift so I can use it. Oh, really? Well, how's it going? Well, you know, I'm just, I'm still thinking about it. Oh, you are? How long have you been thinking about it? Oh, you know, I've taken 46 inventories and I'm on the sixth year and I'm going to get there. I know I'm going to get the pay dirt at some point. Where um, what they were really saying is, you know, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm standing here. What are you doing while you're standing there? Well, I'm, I'm gazing at my navel. And what are you doing while you're gazing at your navel? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my spiritual gift is. And as soon as I figure out what my spiritual gift is, I think I might do something. Now, um, people began to see that that, that, that that real engineering, deductive, scientific way, here's the deal. What needs to be done? Let's all throw ourselves into it. And as we throw ourselves into what needs to be done, What's amazing is people begin to surface with special gifts. Um, I, I, I was just thinking about a brother, Fred Scroggins. He's in the hospital, going to be dismissed to go to rehab. Now, um, there are folks who could walk into Fred's room this week, and uh, when they leave, Fred would be encouraged. It's just who they are. It's just how they're gifted. It's their empathy. It's their sympathy. It's their mercy. It's their genuineness, their authentic love. You know, you can send some people there, and, and man, they do it. Matt Shelton would host. I, I've been with guys. There, there's a guy here at church. I, I was in one meeting with him, and, and it was the first meeting I'd ever been in with him. And they're talking spreadsheets and finances and numbers and the dude was intuitively uncorking with these amazing insights and I thought wow now that's the kind of guy I want sitting next to 
Matt Shelton and advising him on, um, hey, what do we do with this moment financially? Now, um, that man is so gifted, he probably could go visit Fred and do well, but there's some that I'd love to send to Fred, and then there's others that I would not want to send to Fred this week. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just our differences. It's not wrong. It's just that we are built differently. But God has made each of us unique, and his grace has gripped us, and he's given us something to do. And rather than gaze in our navel, let's get on our knees and ask God to fulfill his purpose in our life and our days. Get off our knees, pick up something to do, and pour ourselves in it with all of our might. And then as we do that over time, we begin to see areas where in God's mercy, he uses the likes of us. And we leave encouraged, not saying, man, I'll tell you what, I'm really great. Look how gifted I am. But can you believe that God uses even the likes of one like me? And that's what his gifting is about and what presenting our bodies to him is about. F.F. Bruce said, diversity is the mark of God's handiwork. All of us are different. All of our gifts are different. All of our gifts are needed. And all of our gifts offer a unique contribution to the life of this church. I remember there's a young man. He came to our group of elders and came to a meeting. And it was a glorious meeting. And he sat down and he said, I don't know why. And he was a simple, humble man. He was a brilliant man. He said, I don't know why, but God gave me these hands and my mind, and I can fix things. Mechanically, he could take anything apart and redo it and make it all better. He could build anything. He says, I don't know why, but God has made me like this, and I want to give this, this back to God. He spent most of the next decade in Mali after that meeting in West Africa, uh, building and setting up a women's and children's hospital right in the middle of a Muslim-dominated country where, in a Christian setting, they caught babies and told mothers and fathers about Jesus. And Doug was there using his hands. You say, oh, man, that's a gifted guy. We ought to put a big bust of Doug right there at the front of the hospital. You know what Doug was saying? No, whatever you do, don't do that. But let's just let me sing the doxology with you before I get on the plane and go back and use my hands and my mind for other things. Now, the second deduction is we need all of our gifts to be used at Calvary to be healthy. Look at verses 4 and 5. Paul introduces the church with the metaphor of the body. It's not a new metaphor to us here. Our body has many systems. When they all worked in an interconnected way with each other, we do really well. Get one of our body systems to go down, we, we don't do so well. Every body part is important. We need each system. Think of the morning reading from 1 Corinthians 12. Let this sink in. Look at verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually, here it is, members one of another. We ought to write in the margin of our Bible right there, look around the auditorium. What do you see? We're members, one of another, in the most meaningful sense that we could say it. And I know it's a tired, trite face, 
phrase, in this together. You know, bodies don't work well if one or two systems decide not to function. My father had radical lung surgery at one point in his life. And after surgery, he had lost a significant pulmonary function on his right side. And they got him into intensive care. And his heart and lungs got in an argument over beating and breathing. And had to get that straightened out. And uh, the medical team was really concerned. It was about one system in an argument with another part of the body. What brings us to health is the interrelatedness and interconnectedness of folks in the body working toward optimal function together. So here's the question. Are we all contributing? No one can imagine the liver ever coming forward and saying, I'll tell you what, I'm leaving the body today. I'm out of here. I'm gone. By the way, I premeditated that in the first service. There was a liver transplant patient. kind of ruined the, uh, you know, I, I suppose one day his liver did take flight and left. We need all of our gifts to be used for Calvary to be healthy, finally. The manner in which we use our gifts speaks volume about our character and our effectiveness. You say, Eric, what's, what's that stuff from verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8? I don't get that. What he's talking about is the way we use our gifts matters. You know, we can be gifted and use our gifts in a manner that's not God-honoring. Satan has a million tools to get us off track. One, convince us we don't have any gifts. Two, convince us that we're too busy to use our gifts. Uh, Three, imagining that we wouldn't make any difference. Or worse, four, hey, I'll tell you what, if they'd only ask me to do everything, I'd be great. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not gifted. I I can do it all. And I'm, I'm God's greatest gift to Calvary Baptist Church. That won't work either. He's talked about that earlier. But how we use our gifts, we can even use the right gifts in the wrong way and stymie effectiveness. Ever been around a gifted person who wanted you to know just how very gifted they were and they didn't mind you effusively complimenting their gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 7, gifts are given for the common good. Remember, the use of spiritual gifts in Corinth Mess the whole place up. One of the most unhealthy churches in all the New Testament is the church at Corinth, which was the church known as the church that had all the spiritual gifts. Remember the last verse that uh, was read this morning uh, said there is, let me show you a more perfect way. That's the preamble to 1 Corinthians 13 and love and charity. Whatever that is was not being practiced at Corinth. Paul was an apostle by the grace given to him. Now, interesting, all the comments are different in this series. They differ according to the grace given to us. Let's use them. If prophecy, foretelling the word of God in proportion to the faith. In proportion is the word from which we get our English word analog, similar. Make sure you're foretelling is in line with the faith that we've been given. If service, inner serving. Eric, I have the gift of serving. You do. Are you serving? 
No, but I have the gift. <laughs> if service, serve. The one who teaches in his teaching, use your gift. The one who exhorts, that's two edges, strong encouragement, and graciously telling you something you need to hear that is true. Exhortation. The one who contributes. You know that giving is a gift? Do you have joy in giving? God loves a cheerful giver. What is the manner in which we are to give? Here's the word, generously. Generosity. The one who contributes in generosity. It's a word, some translate it sincerity. It means without any begrudging. Benjamin Franklin was listening to the colonial preacher George Whitfield make an appeal for the orphanage that he was founding in Georgia. So he reached in his pocket and he had some uh, coins and he dropped them in the plate when it went by. They were good friends. Franklin, I fear, never embraced Jesus Christ as Savior as George Whitfield urged him to do, but it didn't mess up their friendship and it shouldn't mess, mess up ours as we continually reach for others who have not yet come to follow Jesus. But then Whitfield went on with the presentation and um, Franklin was moved and he dropped some more in. And then he began to recede in the crowd, but in hearing Whitfield finish the challenge, he reached in and took the rest of the change from his pocket and threw it in and said later he was glad he had not put more in his pocket that day because of the persuasion of George Whitfield. He, he, he noted that he had kind of grudgingly given up what was in his pocket. God doesn't want us to give like that. If you can't have joy in giving it, don't give it. Now, I don't envy you on the great day to stand before God and give an account for all that he gave you. In fact, one of the glories that's going to be for those of you who love to give is to hear God celebrate your generosity when the secret things are made known on the great day when we stand before him. Did you ever notice how quiet it gets when we talk about giving? <laughs> the one who leads with zeal. Um, this set on my conscience this week. With a persevering life, an overseer in the church fulfills his responsibilities. Yes, with a zealousness lit on fire by God. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Letting that merciful gift flow. A church full of people using their gifts in support of each other is a church full of life. Is it not? That's what we want here. I grew up in a small church, a country church that had a leaky basement. As a child, I remember some songs they taught me. I thought of one this week. I can still smell the basement, smelled bad. But um, in those bad smelling rooms, I remember the teacher teach me a little song. When we all work together, 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 when we all work together, how happy we'll be. 
for your work. And we, we like kids, we gesture each other, your work is my work, and my work is your work. When we all work together, how happy we'll be. I don't know who wrote that little ditty. They might have been thinking about Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. My dad spent 40 years at Navistar Trucks, International Harvester Trucks, in the cab shop, and it was all sheet metal pressed out parts when it came into the department. It was all cabs when it left, and they had all these stations along the assembly line where men would work with all kinds of different welds to put the whole thing together and spit them out at the end. On a good day, they'd spit out 175 of them or 178 of them or maybe if the market was super hot, 280 of them. They built a new cab shop and they embedded it with all these robots. And I went to watch it one day and I was just so fascinated to stand in the back and look down the plank of the assembly line and this robot does this. Then they pick it up and take it and set it in another. And then this robot does this. And it would take Tyler Moore to explain how it all works out. He does this for a living, designing these things. And then, then it would press it on. And, 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 and it's all the way, it's doing all these different kinds of welds. Spot welds and MIG welds and other kinds of welds and seam welds. And, and by the time it got to the end, it's done. And if you look back... Everything's working together perfectly in symmetry. Like a maestro was there orchestrating the whole thing. And they all showed up for work. And they didn't take too long of a break. And they came back after lunch. And they never went on strike. And it really changed labor a lot. I realized that. And I'm not carte blanche blessing technology's integration. But just to watch it was incredible. That's a great church working together. Garrison Keeler tells a great story about a small town in Minnesota where they all decided they were going to take a great picture and going to hang it in the, in, in, in the town building. And the great picture was going to be all of them, everybody in town, mustered out, and they hired a crane, and we're going to put a guy on a, a, a boom. And he was going to take their picture. And they were all going to stand there with colored cards making the American flag. So it took them just forever to line up and pass out all the cards and get the order right and get everything set. And they all stood there. And then as they watched the man ascend the ladder to get to the boom crane that took them up, they began to get jealous of the vantage point that he was going to have. And so one bold, jealous person in the group decided he would bolt from the standing with the flag over and climb the ladder and get on the boom and get up so that he could see it too. And when, when one saw that he was going to do it, then a bold lady got out from, she was a star maybe or a stripe. She ran over there. And pretty soon you had more people that wanted to see for themselves individually than the corporate thing they had going as they were all trying to work together to get the picture. And finally, they all went home and the picture was never taken. And as only Garrison Keeler could do, he un unwinds that yarn. That's a church too, isn't it? A place celebrating me and mine and what I do. 
Let's not be that church. Let's be that robotic construct that recognizes by the grace of God we've been given gifts to use to move this great cause forward, bringing glory to this one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Father, in what way do you want to use this message with our people? Help us not to be so preoccupied with ourselves that we miss the glory of humbly opening our can of smoked tuna, smoked salmon, and sharing it with others. God, make us healthy. God, make us vital. God, thrill our hearts by in the few days and a little bit of breath we have, we present it back to you as a living sacrifice and watch you take our little boy's lunch and feed the multitude. So help us honor you so that on the great day we shall hear, well done, thou good and faithful Calvary Baptist Church. Let's stand. Let's sing.